How much but money I come did you come home with? A thousand dollars. That was yeah. after everything. I come home with a thousand dollars in eighteen hours of playing less than three hours, and I was like, "Okay, I'll figure this shit out. I will figure it out. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll figure it out." That give you incentive yeah. to learn. And that's when you said, "And money ain't always that good playing, but you know." You said, "I think I will have some of that cocaine. <laughs> I'll take some more of that cocaine." Something in the water. We're here with my band, the Pine Box Dwellers. We're part of us. Uh, Jesse Heron, uh, the artist formerly known as Jesse Heron. <laughs> He's got his COVID mask on. And uh, Connor Griffin, Coon Dog Griffin. And uh, me and Uncle yeah, Dave. I'm not into Pine Box Dwellers. Hold on just a minute. Let He's me my clear dad, something though. up. Sometimes you are. Pine Box Dwellers. This is uh, extended family. Three fourths of the Pine Box yep. Dwellers. Y'all usually have somebody else. You, but you've played some games I don't know who that guy is. They come and go. Yeah. Um, no, Jody, Jody Parrott. Yeah, Jody has been the most recent fourth member of the Pine Box Dwellers. We're glad to have y'all. Thank glad you. to be here. Good, good. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so Pine Box Dwellers, for those of y'all that uh, are not familiar with them, is a local Waycross band. Been together since... 2013, June 2013, somewhere around there. Connor's our historian, timekeeper. Um, But it's not been an easy ride, as y'all have been. Y'all have been through some guitar players and drummers. Nothing Uh, worth the wait. I have a question, Connor. Before we were the Pine Box Swellers, we were Sean and the 45s. But was that 2013 or when when was that? No, that was was 2013. We started as uh, Sean Clark and the 45s. It was me and you and Sean. Yeah. And Ashton, Ashton was too young to play. Right? No, I, I remember. I remember joining after me, Ashton me was already. Ashton, me and you and Ashton played out before we had Connor. Okay, mm-hmm. I got it twisted. <clears throat> and uh, the two things that involved me getting into the mix was uh, there was one time I went to play with you yep, and man. you at and Locos. A, at yeah. Locos. Yeah, and I just kind of. I sat in with Sean, not even really knowing what I was getting into, but I, I was just remember thought, that as Captain Stans. I also remember okay. recording Connor's band. What were you called? The other the guys? other guys, yeah. And uh, I told Sean then that we were, we were wanting a drummer, you know, something. We needed mm-hmm. something. And By the I, way, we've known Connor since he was yeah, five. Yeah. yeah, so. Before, yeah, we we knew Connor before Connor knew Connor. Yeah, he didn't know he was Connor. I still yet. don't yeah. know me. He thought he was John Lennon. <laughs> but uh, I've known him longer than everybody in this room. Uh, <laughs> Connor's my son. Yeah. See, you always got to one. Isn't up that crazy? How but I, I remember <laughs> telling you, like, I recorded them, and I was like, man, like, he he has definitely got something on the drums. He's got this old school feel. Well, thank you. He's got this, like, he's got this feel for music, like we like, mm-hmm. and. At some point, I forget how it happened, but we all connected. I think Ashton and I were uh, were jamming one day, and 
I want to say you overheard that as well. That's, maybe, maybe that was it, that added to yeah, what yeah, I they heard were in the, the studio, studio yeah. with your yeah. other band. Yeah. yeah. Somehow it all ended up working out. I'm and, glad it did. And Sean, yeah, and Sean texted me one day and said, uh, You're "Hey, fired. you, you want to play? Yeah, <laughs> you want to play one weekend with us?" And I said, "Sure." And uh, when we went to practice at Jesse's studio, Hickory Wind Studios, I brought my cajon along, which is a what we call the pine box. Basically, mm-hmm. it's just a uh, an acoustic, yeah, an acoustic Latin percussion instrument. That's got a hollowed out bass sound at the bottom and it's got snares at the top. So essentially it sounds like a portable drum set. And I started playing that in the practices and getting to know the songs that way. And uh, we would, depending on the venue, get me behind the drum kit for the bigger shows. And when we were in tighter corners, like uh, Locos, which is now... Demir Grill or something? Demir Grill? Demir Grill. Demir Grill, Grill, yeah. In those cases, we played the cajon, but the cajon got so much of a response that we just decided to cut out the kit altogether. Yeah, it was the reaction of people, of how big and full we sounded with just a cajon and no drum set. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you're killing it. Like, no other cajon player we've seen, too. That's another thing is you kill it with those brushes and yeah, I mean, I've seen some other cajon players play with them, but mm-hmm. I just haven't seen any like John play the, the way cajon. you do on it. It's, it's just different. Yeah. And you got this technique where you kind of play backwards, which is cool too. Yeah. You're doing your your kick and your snare opposite of what you would on a kit, which is crazy. I hadn't even read that much into it, Jesse. You, you are. Well, you, know, you do know he was born uh, on uh, July 7th. Uh, 1993, the same day that Ringo Starr was born. 93. Who, I'm just kidding. Well, who was a who was a uh, who was a backwards drummer too? He was he was a left-handed drummer. I mean, he was a left-handed uh, person person. Yeah, but he played his drums set up in a right-handed manner, and when he would do a roll, he would have to start it. Somehow, other than what a right-handed drummer, I guess right. with his left uh, hand, he would lead with his left hand. He would lead, so it'd be like don't don't figure bada, out his own little don't, don't, technique bada, for doing bada, it. instead of don't don't bada bada, you know. Yeah, uh, Ringo Starr was a little backwards, just like you. Just yeah. like you. I mean, it was unique. Mm-hmm. He was unique, and it, he was uh, celebrated for that uniqueness. Oh yeah. Ninety-three was the year I graduated. I'm young. You say yes, you were born in '93. Mm-hmm. Now, now, folks, young. Ringo was born in '60. No, no, '50, yeah, '40, '40. Uh, about he was probably <laughs> born in '39 or '38, actually. Yeah, uh, he was the oldest of the Beatles, and mm-hmm. I think John may have been born in '40. I don't know. We'll get on with the. Uh, <laughs> this is not history. <laughs> this is not history of the Beatles. Sure, tonight. It is. it's whatever. But we do love the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if you don't, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. That's, that's, you guys. I heard well, a few of their songs, but this is uh, it was right. like eh. <laughs> saying that uh, Connor is my son, and I've known him longer than anybody in this room. I've known Jesse. Longer than I have you. 
So I've mm-hmm. known that's, Jesse longer than have anybody else. In this that's room. some Georgia math right there. Because <laughs> Jesse is the son of my musical uh, friend uh, who was on a couple of episodes ago, uh, Billy Ray Heron. Jesse's the uh, son of Billy Ray. And uh, he was born on uh, Dog Hill where where I grew up. And uh, shoot, what? Let's see. You were born in eighty seventy eight. Seventy eight. Seventy eight. October seventy eight. Okay. Yeah, I remember. Actually, you. I was when I was born. Um, we lived over near where CVS is, over that area. Oh yeah, yeah. Y'all were in the trailer park. Yeah, my granny had a trailer park over there, mm-hmm. and then she bought that property on Mount Pleasant or Dog Hill. And I think, if I got this right, and I could be wrong, but I think it was seventy nine. She bought that property. I, I mean, was thinking that y'all were living by that time. Y'all were living. I mean, I was. Right like, I don't the, even remember living yeah. over there. All I remember is Mount Pleasant or slash Dog Hill. Mm-hmm. I now I know for a fact that your daddy and mama. Lived in a trailer right there to the left of your granny's house. Well, before that, we lived over by <laughs> around the corner on Mount Pleasant where uh, Linda's mama lived, my Aunt Linda, okay. in front of that old building that's there now. Yeah, that's where I was talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah uh, I'm backwards now. Yeah. Mount Pleasant Road is uh, is is in Waycross, Georgia. It's a kind of a it it's, uh, used to be a dirt road when I was me and Billy Ray was growing up on it, and it uh, it's very short too. Yeah, it started at one end of uh, City Boulevard, and then it dog legged real hard to the left and came out on Central <laughs> Avenue. So it was an L shaped road and uh, um, shortcut. <clears throat> Uh, when we were growing up, uh, I was or not directly across the road from Billy Ray. He was kind of two houses down, and that's where I was talking about. Your granny's house was there, and Linda's living okay. in it now. But right next to that, your daddy and mama had a trailer, and I thought that's where you were living when you that, were born. That's where I got messed up because I'm thinking of, what what I remember. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. That that's well, a little further back. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well listen uh, it it can be confusing, folks, because it's <laughs> I've lived in several places on memory. Mount Pleasant and uh And everybody's got their own memory. I'm almost forty two and I've lived at least forty one years that I know of <laughs> on Mount Pleasant. So <laughs> and I've lived in truth. a few places, but it's a very short road, so <clears throat> Pretty much the whole road. Yeah, we had some times there, but it's kind of a legendary place for all of us. We kind of refer back to Dog Hill because there was a lot of music that originated there, and, and uh, a lot of songwriting, early songwriting, took place there. And it's kind of what's neat to me is that it's carried on in uh, in in the hands of you and you, and now here y'all are playing music together just like me and your daddy mm-hmm. did yeah. back in our day, you know. Yeah. It's real cosmic. It is cosmic. Oh, yeah. And then Sean was introduced to me through my nephew. 
my brother's son, who uh, uh, he kind of grew up on Dog Hill a little bit there too, you know. So, and uh, yeah, because he was right down the road from us. I mean, literally right down the road from Dog Hill. Hey man, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's the road? Uh, what's the name of the road? Talking about where my parents yeah. are. Uh, they live on Lark Ridge Road. And- off of St. Isle. Off of, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you're like right down the road from us. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, even though I didn't even meet you until I was probably 21 or 22. I know I've told you, I've said this before, and I don't know if it was in another interview type thing or whatever, but I had heard of you. You were I was in the music. I was playing music, and you were you were older than me. I was me. a badass, Jesse. Yeah, you were a badass, and, I, and even though I didn't know you, I looked I up you. to you, really? and I would see you in Flash Foods, which is by your house and by my house in the same general neighborhood. I would see you in there with your red Converse and your damn like kind of weird looking bell bottomish pants on, corduroy, like looking like Kurt Cobain up in Flash Foods. <laughs> And thinking you were cool as shit, but I didn't know you, and I was kind of afraid to approach you and talk to you because I was you younger. Let down. And uh, I'd seen you play at Club Sierra or something, you know. Yeah, but it was a few years. It was two or three years later. I'd been playing a little bit, and I hooked up with you through Graham. me and you and Graham yeah. hooked up and started recording in my with my little four track in my trailer. Yep. And there's another connection. Graham's my uh, cousin. Mm-hmm. Graham is uh, my nephew that introduced me to Sean, and uh, he was named after uh, his name is David Graham Griffin. He's named after Uncle Dave and Graham Parsons. And then when Connor came along, me and his mama decided to call name him after Graham Parsons. And since my brother had already beat us to Graham, we named this guy Ingram Connor. So it's Graham's. Original name. Thank God you didn't name me Cecil. <laughs> well, Graham's original name, first 12 years of his life in Waycross, was Ingram Cecil Connor the you third. You a good Cecil, I think. And uh, so we just left Cecil out of it entirely and called him Ingram Connor. And uh, since your cousin already had the Graham moniker, we said, well, we'll, we'll call him Connor. And people you know, will misspell his name now we forever. Call him King Dog. <laughs> yeah. One thing, looking now back on looking back on all that. that is, uh, okay, around that time there was a lot of grunge stuff that was popular. Around what time? When me and you kind of hooked up with Graham, there yeah. was some grunge stuff popular, but also things were shifting a little bit. And uh, what year would this have been? Ninety eight, ninety. Definitely by 98. 97, 98, 99-ish, mm-hmm. between there, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but things were kind of shifting. Like You had played grunge and stuff like that more prior. Yeah. And you were getting into more country and some funk and some old school, whatever. Mm-hmm. My taste was changing, and that's when we all kind of hooked up. And that was, honestly, if you look back, that was the beginning of what we got going on today. Yeah. That was the very beginning of the country rock, Americana, yeah. all these blends our, of our band then great. Yeah. Yeah. That was the 
seed of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, in 98 was the year that uh, I had the first annual, what turned into the Graham Parsons Guitar Pool and Tribute Festival, was born in 98 in my backyard. It was just an excuse to get musicians, local musicians, all in one place at the same time. And uh, Gravy was pretty much the opening act. Y'all played from that afternoon. And I didn't, it wasn't like. uh, We played too long, didn't we? No, no, no. It wasn't like, (laughs) it wasn't wasn't organized at all. It was just very loose. It was like, yeah, come on, man. Set up in the backyard and play. And I remember y'all kind of setting up across that the the patio. the, the uh, I do remember one the time, apartment side yeah. in a line across the apartment side. Well, we were at the patio back there. I mm-hmm. do remember that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the apartment side. It was. Y'all were directly yeah. in front of it in a straight line mm-hmm. across that yeah. side because you know it it kind of L shapes right there and mm-hmm. comes back across. But uh I remember we got video of that of of uh y'all's performance there. Was that the same year that Connor was a little kid and he played his keyboard? Uh, no, that was probably, that, I I was that was probably the, the next year or, or let's see, 98, you would have been five. I would have been doing the I anthology backing track. For, uh, it was one of them years you, you came out there and did, uh, uh, we knew what you could do and uh, there was you know, 30 or 40 people in the backyard at the get-together at the party. And uh, we said, we're going we're fixing to blow their minds now. We're going to let Connor sing a George Harrison song, uh, Within You, Without You, off yeah. of Sergeant Pepper album, <laughs> the Indian song. And uh, there was, uh, on the Beatles anthology had come out, and included on the CD was just the music. For within you, without you, and the we, instrumental track, we, yeah. the instrumental, and we put that on a little CD player out in the backyard, and he walked up there in front of a microphone. We were talking <laughs> about the thing. Is a little six-year-old kid, and there was people walking around. What, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that little kid? That kid's on acid. <laughs> no, that was pretty, LSD. That was pretty <laughs> awesome. But uh, y'all, uh, you have played uh, every uh, Graham Parsons festival since the beginning in some form or another. Except for this year. I feel weird. Well, yeah. they, nobody played right it this on. year. but So but yeah, uh, I have, we're not counting this year. We're just going to keep I wonder on how many... I mean, have you played every year? No, there's been years that I haven't played, but uh, I've put it on every year. So. Right, you put it, you're there every year for sure. But, uh, but who, you know how how are we going to do this? Are we going to are we going to call? Are we going to skip this year and go straight to number twenty four? Or are we going to say that next year is the twenty third? Yeah, call it the twenty third because I mean, because there ha- there wasn't a. Or you could just call it the 24th as a joke. I mean, traveling Wilburys went from volume one to volume three. 23 and a half. Anybody that does the math, you know, they're going to say, well, you lost a year somewhere. Everybody did. And we'll just go, yeah. Yeah. You could call it 
Um, so what? What would the, what, what would this year have been? I'd have to look it up, but I think it's. The, I think this year would have been twenty three or twenty four. So so if this year would have been twenty three, uh, next year you would, could call it the supposed twenty three. <laughs> but then you'd have to keep that somehow. Yeah, no, uh, I'll figure it out. Idea. I'll figure I'll it out. It, if you have any, if anybody out there has any suggestions, be sure yeah. to uh, drop just them in comment, the comments below. Comment below uh, as to what we should, how we should deal with this uh, matter of uh, extreme importance. So, gravy was you, my nephew Graham, Jesse. Will, Will Thrift, Thrift. Yes. who is my second cousin, first yeah. cousin Tim Thrift's uh, son. It's a family affair. Will, uh, and a, there was a sax player there that year. Zach uh, Cardwell. Zach Cardwell. Ca Cardwell, yeah. Uh, anybody I'm leaving out? Well, there was there was a point where Jody played drums. Jody That Perry. was before it was called yeah. Gravy. Okay, well, I and guess that, I'm kind of lumping it all But at the beginning good. of Gravy, you weren't you weren't the bass player. No. It was uh, Jonathan Gibson. Yeah. Well, so who was there in '98? Was that the pre-Gravy? No. Uh, well, you know there was a point where okay, I played. I remember Jody being there one year. There was a point pre-Gravy. Yeah. Here's the thing. Will Thrift definitely played that first year. Yeah. For, well, pre-Gravy, okay. I played. We were the Severals, and we were something else, and uh, we were called a couple of different things. <coughs> and then there was a point where I didn't play, and John Gibson played. Y'all come and recorded an album in my studio. And yeah, the then thing. after that, I rejoined at some point, right? Yeah. Do I got that right? Yeah, like – uh we were, we were playing all together before Gravy, and then whatever happened, we got Jonathan playing with us. Yeah. And Jody left. You and Jody left, and it was like a different thing. Yeah. It was me and Will and uh, Jonathan and Graham. And then we went and recorded at your studio like that. Yeah. And then... And then... At some point, I forget how it happened, but John quit playing. I started I playing just, with you guys because yeah, we recorded a few more tracks and kind of meshed them together with some of those tracks. Because mm -hmm. um, I remember Love Another, and there was another one that I had played bass on that was on that album that y'all ended up putting out. Well, you I'm just, what year it's hazy. It's been so long, the timeline. I think that was 98-ish. Really? That, that album was then? Okay. But now great gravy, album too. gravy didn't gravy uh, see the origin of some of the songs we still play today, like uh, yeah. School Chicken for School sure. Chicken. Uh, there was and riffs and little pieces here and there, and I'm sure you've got lyrics you've pulled from old gravy stuff too. That you, you know, it's your stuff, so why not? Really, only um, School Chicken is all we do from then. Now, okay. Now, where did uh, I have when did some riffs here and there? But. Yeah. But not even like main riffs, like little things I did within songs and stuff. Now, when did uh, Slush Puppy come into the picture? Wasn't that when... That was uh, before that I was, moved. That was when I was to, in high school. Yeah, that was... Now, wasn't that when you made the early. Swamp Star? Mm -hmm. That was when Sean was famous to me. And I was like, <laughs> that man, he's a... Yeah. Uh, Sean, Sean's always 
been very creative also as an art art graphic artist and uh he was challenged in his first band slush puppy to come, i think we've talked about this on one of the episodes to come up with a logo for a five-piece band yeah it, in the nine early 90s all the bands had symbols because like, that ties uh, into mm-hmm. us like uh mm-hmm. red hot chili peppers had yeah, and you were thing. slush puppy was a five piece band, and somebody said we were five piece for like a week. A draw month. before we ever even had a practice. Or draw we're something with question marks. It's like make us uh, do something with five question marks because there's five of us and we'll be mysterious. And, uh, Gus, that's what Gus Fuller told me. He's, anybody he's have a that logo on anything? Uh, well, let's I say, almost wore my shirt with it. Uh, while while y'all are talking about it, I can pull it up probably. Uh, a lot, people, a lot of people are just listening, but um, so anyway, I come up with this thing, and it, it's not even recognizable as um, question marks, really, unless you know that. But uh, started using that again, so I just used it for that band, Slush Puppy, and then it lay dormant for years. Yeah, it was just you know, but it was all even like people, but the fans of Slush Puppy and our friends back then, like they still would bring it back up every now and again you know, in a post or something, or I carved a pumpkin with it in it or something. But then uh, Gus passed away, and that's when, at that time, I didn't even have a band, and I started using it on my solo flyers, um, just using it as a memorial to him. And uh, then very shortly after that, we had the Pine Box Dwellers, and we just kept using that. And then it's kind of like the the logo of the Pine Box Dwellers now. Um, so Gravy's around 98 kind of breaks up gets back together again and then because it's from 98 to 2013 it's a haul that's uh, 15 years well there was so, but then y'all go separate ways and other well we played some in the early 2000s right I mean like early early like with what with Gravy? Yeah. Probably yeah, so. Yeah, we played we were a band for yeah, three because four years. I, like I <sighs> So what happened after Gravy with you in this with, fifteen year period between with me, okay, and I may have some of this out of order. Um I was married my first marriage. Um that ended. Um, I played some before that, not long before that ended, I was playing with Josh Kirkland, Josh Kirkland band. We were a trio. And, uh, the funny thing is, is (laughs) that was the first time I was actually making some money playing, Mm -hmm. you know, it was hard to make money being an original band anyway, Mm -hmm. but we were, it was, we were a cover band, but, um, the first time I was actually, okay, I can make a living doing this and did that for a little bit. And I got into, um, another relationship and got out of playing because of that kind of, and didn't play for like five years, literally. Like, I mean, kind of here and there every great once in a while, my skills went way down. Mm -hmm. Like I lost some shit because of that. It really pissed me off, but um, when got you, done with that, and when did you start recording? 
recording studio. Oh, I started the studio uh, with a little. Um, well, I had a four-track Tascam cassette recorder, and I didn't open for business with that. But I started recording a couple bands I knew. I recorded uh, Igmo or Igmalitia. No, Unearth is what they were called at the time. Rick Bennett and Jason mm-hmm. Lee, and you know mm-hmm. their their first incarnation of that band. And the cool thing was that my dad noticed I was getting a re- like really good sounds with just a little cassette recorder. They won a battle of the bands. That demo got played on 93.3 in Jacksonville. Sounded really cool over the radio. You know, I was like, man, I'm hearing my <coughs> little cassette recording mm-hmm. over the air, you know, and it, it sounded so compressed and thick and cool. And, but uh, so I got a little Yamaha MD-8 after that. I believe I believe that was the model. What a year little eight-track mini-disc. What year was it? That. Oh man, I want to say, and I could be wrong, but somewhere between '99 and 2000 okay. era. So you started actually doing a little bit of recording, right? I actually there opened right in the then, and uh, Millennium had a band or two come in, and real nervous about that. I had a I was sub mixing drums through a little mixer and down to like two tracks, and um, you know, I just had a little eight eight track to work with. And uh, I did that for a little while, and then I moved up to a Yamaha AW4416, and then moved up to a Roland VS2480, and then finally moved up to Will Thrift, who was in Gravy, the drummer, who moved on to be a very good engineer, worked Mm -hmm. with Studio Chicago, worked up in... um, Atlanta? Uh, what was the big Doppler. one called? Doppler in Atlanta. He's done a lot of, he's got a lot of stuff on his resume. He done really good. Ooh. And um, over the phone, he was like several times of talking to him. He was like, man, you need to move up to computer and software recording. And I was scared because I'm I'm computer stupid. I'm still computer stupid. But he was like, man, I'm, I'll, I'll walk you through it. Get get Pro Tools 9 and get this and get that. And so I got some stuff, and I started from there. And I got that still in my backyard. I'm working with Pro Tools 9. And I, yes, I, I rarely do it, but I, I just still do some demo stuff. But When you said computer stupid, I started thinking, yeah, we had to take you off of the uh yeah, the I deleted the Facebook a bunch page of stuff because he started just. He's like, I don't want to get this stuff off my phone. He's like deleting it off of Facebook. I was like, stop! Well, hell, it was duplicates of pictures. I, I thought it's like I deleting was all delete the pictures. All. I got too of many there. of them. Like, same doing? picture. I didn't What's know happening? because I was administrator <laughs> that it would actually delete the the original. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, that the building that you you're still in as a studio. Uh, at, to this day, was the building that me and your daddy cut our songs in. Yeah. yeah, and the rafters really? to that y'all building. Y'all weren't messing around with that building? Same building. Yeah, well, I was a kid in the 80s running around pissing them off while they were recording. I was saying, go jump in the <laughs> pool with some bricks mm-hmm. in your swimsuit. <laughs> Me and my sister, there was a band recording one time in that studio. My dad was, I mean, that was part of his living. He had a band in there paying him by the hour. Mm-hmm. When did and they live? had... All their cars out there, me and my sister went and stuck sticks in all their keyholes, little tiny sticks. Oh, no. And we were just playing. We were little kids. We didn't know we were messing anything up. We were just being stupid. 
And none of it, like when the session was over, I remember Nobody about midnight, one o'clock in the morning, my dad coming there and jerked me out the bed and whipped my <laughs> ass like I've never had it whipped in my life. Like ever, ever. I don't know if I remember a whipping worse than that. Like, but wow. he, I had pissed a bunch of people <laughs> off. But my yeah. sister didn't get her ass whipped and she was older and it was her idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, now, I remember uh, your dad. I want to say last week when I ran by the store, he told me that the uh, the wood or something about it the was... Rafters or, of, yeah, the rafters, the rafters of the studio, he tore down his... Um, Sin, City Records. Sin City Records, which was considered the first Ooh. tribute to Graham, to Graham. Parsons, yeah. um, and took that over there as part of the building to build the... In the I studio have, I had totally forgotten. Yeah, that. so yeah. what what I have over there in my backyard is still part of the original Sin City record store. And that was wow. what year? Mm-hmm. The that, rafters. Uh, the the, the A frame rafter part is the store. That, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Five, that. probably. 75. I probably have heard that, but I forgot. That shit is 76. probably going to fall apart. <laughs> probably about 76 when you do <laughs> But still there. Yeah. Um, all right. So we know I'm trying to establish a timeline here as, as far as that that missing 15 years from 98 when y'all played in my backyard first Grand Parsons. Uh, uh, we pinpointed what all of y'all were doing right around then. You were five. I was, six, I was six learning my ABC. I was married for roughly eight yeah. eight years during that time and uh, musically and everything. And you were you had a studio. You played in and out of bands. You were growing up. What were you doing right around uh, after 98? And um, Gravy lasted for th- about three, four years what? into the early I guess you were the Lanny Strickland band when Gravy into, ended. No, that, I wasn't straight in there. I was uh, playing solo a lot, like at Whitfields and yeah. uh, the Creek and wherever. And uh, it would, Well, the Newfanglers was right on the heels of all that. Well, we, I started working at uh, Crosstown Music, but I was playing all these solo gigs. Then I went off and played. I quit Crosstown to go play with Laney because they needed somebody. Yep. I played with him for probably six months. Then, Laney Strickland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we were playing all over the place. And that was probably my first uh, real working musician job. I mean, because before that, I mean, all the, you know, gravy, we just got anything that we could possibly get. We got mm-hmm. paid some here and there, but. That was your money-making job. Yeah, so like finally that. I was like, there is actual money in this. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and kind of saw that side of, you know, especially at that time, Laney was, you know, he was the top of his game, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so then after that, we started the Newfangler's project and uh but i was still playing still playing solo but we started writing those songs and um me you and paul got real tired on just hanging out and mm-hmm. rubbing off on each other huh uh right <laughs> along about that same time now 04 or 05 you started jack cadillac didn't you yeah and then uh jack cadillac and we were jack cadillac for about 10 years that was a, a trio as a Wow! Started oh, as a it, it was. I remember y'all's debut performance was uh, 
in that little building next to the Ware Hotel. You were there? I was there, yeah. You were there? Yeah. That was, night? Wow. Yeah. Wasn't that called Twin Earth? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Me and Lynn were, me and my wife were both there. And, uh, uh, see, John Pope, who is one hell of a guitar player, mm -hmm. was the drummer yeah. in that group. Yeah, he was the best guitar player in the band, but we had him on drums. And, uh, <laughs> Sean was the guitar player, songwriter, singer, theremin player. Yeah. They had a theremin in the group, which was. I wouldn't say theremin player, theremin noisemaker. Well, it was <laughs> As pretty, Bennett, like pretty crazy and awesome. Reed and, Bennett will send me your, theremin uh, videos of people Nephew like, or cousin? My cousin, Brandon Doty. Brandon Doty, your cousin on bass. And these two kids, kids. Yeah, they were 18. They were straight out of high school. I was 28. They were 18. That's, that's one thing that uh, I've, I've noticed that Sean has uh, been remarkable about. They won't uh, let me go around the schools no more. <laughs> no, is that you? <laughs> you do. You, you uh, get out of here. So, you and uh, Chris Ryder both both did this a lot. Y'all y'all uh, took in the young talent, the un un you know the Unknown. unpracticed. Yeah. You know you would give them uh, 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 a spot, and something and I feed, they something I could teach. They could learn. They would learn. <laughs> they would learn on the job, and y'all were just y'all would encourage them and everything. Y'all developed them, if, if anything. Uh, I we mean, needed people that could listen to us. But y'all were good. <laughs> that, that Brandon Doty, John Pope, and and you, that Jack Cadillac. All right, that lasted till, and y'all did. Yeah, damn, uh, y'all went to Texas and recorded. Uh, yeah, uh, we were a three piece for a couple of years, probably, and then got Leo Neal and playing the drums. Leo Neal from, from Brunswick. Brunswick. Yeah, good drummer. And uh, so we play all them Statesboro shows and. Um, making shows. We even opened up for Jason Isbell <laughs> uh, on his first time out of the truckers in uh, Macon Capital. Capital. Mm -hmm. Cox Capital Theater at that time. Um, and and y'all, uh, was it Jack Cadillac that uh, uh, recorded in Texas? Was that Jack Cadillac? I think so. Yeah. That okay. was, and uh, that's when we got, uh, we couldn't get Lee to go to texas yeah. so another young we grabbed who up, was still in high school yeah mm -hmm. dylan crosby i think he was 17 we took him out there and what was crazy is he could play all the hard songs or the complicated songs but the the slow tempoed four on the floor songs he there wasn't enough going on for him. <laughs> and, and we only i mean and when i'm talking about we only had a week with him like mm -hmm. you're going with us like we need a drummer. Learn this. Mm -hmm. This and so we threw a lot at him at one time, but we got out there and uh, they had Jamie Oldacker, who just passed away. Yeah, um, Jamie Oldacker was the drummer for Eric Clapton and, <laughs> on all yeah. of Eric Clapton's and Bob Seger and Four Sixty One Ocean Boulevard. You played know, on, on tour Ed, with him, you know. He played on Ed Sullivan at sixteen. <laughs> So you got to meet a legendary drummer. Yeah, I, I drummer. had no idea who he was. And they're like, oh, we got you a drummer that can play whatever he can't play. And I thought, are you sure? Because we're coming a long way. <laughs> are you sure? Like, what? All right. So, uh, who? so what year was 
Jack Cadillac. Well, it ended up being, you know, y'all y'all strove to get to a certain level, and it was decided at some point that John Pope and Brandon Doty, if if you weren't at a certain level by such a time, they were going to go on and get their education. Right. Yeah, or they, something I mean, like uh, you know, those guys were becoming adults and yeah. had went to college during what the time we were playing together. Oh, yeah. And then they're like, well, I'm through with college and we're still not doing anything. So, you know, they just, you know, they got married and kind of um, slowly gotten to their own careers and stuff, but uh, still really good players, both of them. And we have played some since then. Uh, I think that probably would have wrapped up around as far as us being a band playing every weekend that probably I was 28. I was probably th around 38 because I think we were like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, 2013, 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. Did y'all, did y'all play the, uh, Swamp Town Get Down originated in 2011? Yeah, they did play, uh, at least the first two, I believe. Right. Uh, but at that, at that point, I think, it may have not been it was just Jack Cadillac you putting bands together. It was me putting bands together, calling it Jack Cadillac still. Hmm. Um, and it was probably John. It may have been Brandon. And mm -hmm. it may have been all of them. I can't really remember. But I know that there was some years that it was I was the only original member. Mm -hmm. And then we had um, one year we had Dylan on guitar, Dylan Crosby and uh, Jody Parrott on bass, and Jason Lee on drums. Mm -hmm. Swamp Town. I think that was actually right after I joined Sean and the 45s. And I think y'all said Jason Lee, y'all had already booked him for that Swamp Town, so I couldn't play that uh, first one with y'all. Okay. It was either that or the Creek Revival or one of those festivals. All right, so we're kind of up to speed on you. Now, you were in high school. Mm -hmm. In the drum line in 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 the marching band, yeah, starting in two thousand nine. Yeah, and uh, when you had a high school band because I'll never forget y'all jamming in your bedroom upstairs, and uh, and it sounded Horrible. rough. Yeah, at first, and uh, but but I but the beauty of it is I was able to sit down there and hear it progressing and get to the point where it was like, oh, they're doing something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I heard it go from uh, from just uh, did it make typical, you remember? It, it made me again? remember myself, you know, because I know that I pissed your daddy off when he he taught me my first chords on the acoustic guitar, and I was. <laughs> out there framing and it any well with anything you know it's going to take a little while and then all of a sudden when it all all the scales fall away from your eyes and and you can see and you move right into that next level and i remember that happened uh the other guys was the name of it and it was mm -hmm. like a trio to begin with well uh in the beginning it was me uh jody rollins and Tyler Merritt. Yeah. And then later on, Caleb Lee joined as the bass player. That's right. That's right. And we were all high school buddies that grew up together. And but the three uh, piece, I, I recall one of y'all's first gigs was at the, the Ware County, County 
junior high school. Yeah, uh, we we played a, a, Christmas, a Christmas pageant. Pageant. We were like the halftime. And let's see, entertainment. The, the you didn't have but about three songs, and one of them was something about Take Five by the Dave. Brubeck Take Five Quartet. by Dave Brubeck, which blew my mind. Wow. The um, other one was something about milk. <laughs> something about milk. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, there was a group. Uh, the name of the group is. Uh, 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 do you remember the other songs? I know we played All My Loving, a really fast right. All My uh, Loving by the that, Beatles. That third one was something with the group's name was Milk. No, milk Carton Kids. No. Dead Milkman. Airplane Over the Sea, Neutral Airplane. Milk Hotel. That's what it was. Neutral, Neutral Milk Hotel. Hotel. Yeah, yeah. And that's... Drink More Milk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, was, uh, that was a good little experience there. And then uh, and we... Then you added Caleb... And and that's when we took to the uh, Rich Theater in Brunswick, and but y'all were writing originals by then, right? We and had that's what? Well, you played some covers there mm-hmm. too. I was there at that one too, and uh, it was a battle of the bands or a talent show or something like that. You told me a story about that, and I'm not going to name any names. Oh, you no. said that a certain somebody come up to you. With with kind of an ego, yeah, and I can't well, remember who it was now. But it I was, know who it was, but I'm not going to say. But, okay, anonymous. But, but well, talking about there was them. A, this the 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 thing was the battle of the bands was held in Brunswick at the Ritz Theater, an mm-hmm. old movie theater downtown Brunswick, and there was a lot of Waycross bands involved in it too because it was a pretty serious cash prize. I think it was like. Five or six hundred dollars. Five yeah. or six dollars. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't know. It went on and on and on and on. And uh, then it came time for the judging. And uh, I'll never forget them calling out y'all's names. Y'all were so excited. Yeah, we. And just ran down the uh, ran down the aisle to the front. And uh, right before they announced us, I looked at Jody and I said, "I'm just gonna go home." We, you, there's no way, you know. You told me that I'm not gonna say who, but prior to knowing who was gonna win, this person that was in another band, yeah, that we all kind of know, said uh, something about they're gonna show these kids something, something to that effect. You told me that, uh, you know. We, yeah, they're, they're yeah there good, was a lot gonna, of there was a lot of posing going on. In the a lot of ego show these kids one, what yeah. it's all about. Yeah, there was a lot of and egoism going on, but they were good. I mean, I'm telling you that y'all. I uh, can't remember what you started with that day. I think it was another Beatles song. Probably all my loving. May have been just that was like a staple uh, at the time. But then uh, y'all did. I, I can't remember if y'all played in any originals that day, but y'all did, did eventually. Get into original music and the other guys didn't, mm-hmm. didn't you? Yeah, and, and Jody and Tyler were the main force behind those originals. Okay, I wrote one song, which was called "Autumn Wind," and we paired ah, that with a uh, guitar riff that Tyler had come up with. He was just he's been sitting on that for, <clears throat> I want to say, a year or two. And they saw the lyrics to my song, and they just said that would go perfect with this and. We, uh, I don't know what kind of, um, that was more of a, I remember Y'all had you comparing a good it sound, to, though. Yeah. I remember that. It was, uh, 
there was some of it. Uh, Tyler's guitar playing was very Led Zeppelin. Yeah, like they impressed me mm, when they come into the yeah. studio to record. You had a good mixture of, there a couple of times styles yeah. in that band. And uh, before I forget, Jacob Evans joined mm-hmm. after Caleb Lee did, and he only played. Uh, I mean, he played several gigs with us, but in that time, kind of like uh, what you did with Gravy, we only got what we got. You know, whether we were paid or. What have you? We only had about uh, maybe. You mean play, playing back, backyard parties and? Yeah, just just come play this restaurant for free. Yeah, and, yeah. We only had about maybe uh, ten to fifteen gigs as the other guys, and uh, Jacob when he came on board, he played the trumpet, and that actually added a lot to it. But yeah. I remember he only played. Uh, he maybe played half of the gigs with us and then other times you know he was doing something else but that really added a lot to it y'all, didn't y'all do that song that old song from my generation by king harvest oh dancing in the moonlight dancing in the moonlight yeah that was jacob's one of his we favorites get, yeah and yeah, y'all also and y'all also covered uh the zombies um time of, time the, of season. the season yeah that was Which one was, of my favorites and then know. House of the Rising Sun, we went yeah. full the who, you know, like Jody was so toppling uh, the drum set over. and So I got y'all to uh, play. The other guys played Swamp Town like, probably 2011 and 2012. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, every, and at both years... Y'all got carried so carried away on. Uh, <laughs> That's what I was laughing. Uh, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to come up yeah. on uh, uh, House of Rising House Sun. House of Rising Sun when it ended with a big finish, and the lead singer just would drop the mic. You know how they say, "Drop the mic." Not and, that uh, mic. Our, our good friend Paul Lee was the sound man, <laughs> yeah. oh, and he came, he came to me with that look on his face. Both years in a row, second year it was uh, actually magnified, and <laughs> and uh, he said, "Either you tell them or I tell them." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't coming back again. If he keeps dropping that mic, they're not coming back. But anyhow, the band broke up after that. So here we are. <laughs> We're finally Police. caught back up. We're finally caught back up now. Yeah. Connor graduated high school in 2012. Yeah. Jesse got out of prison. Jesse <laughs> Jesse was in his ninth marriage by then. And no, wait Sean was in his dark phase. Dark phase. <laughs> his, it's a dark period. Uh, and uh oh. So, what's the walk hard line? So, no. we've covered from 1998 all the way up to 2013 and filled in the uh, filled in the, the missing blanks, year, yeah. the missing blanks. And uh, so, you had uh, Sean in the 45s as a yeah. kind of like knocking yeah. around. We were looking for a name, and we're like, "That sounds cool." Because it's then like we 45 that, records? Yeah, like 45 records. Yeah. Well, that's for about gun. 45 minutes. We weren't, we weren't minutes. scary enough to be 45 caliber, but uh, we found out there was a band in Atlanta, apparently, that called the 45s, and they had like seven albums. So we were like, well, we got to jump off that. And uh, 
we kept fooling around with the, I wanted something with the pine box because mm-hmm. he played the cajon. And I was like, that's a so, good. Well, the reason for that is because we started out as more of a, him playing drums at gigs right. but and the, just using cajon yeah. here and there when we needed to. Right. But that turned into a thing. So it was that cajon that inspired the name. Right. Not the other way around. Right. You didn't come up with a name and then decide no, to get no, a cajon right. player. You know, because he was going to play cajon. He would play cajon sometimes and play drums sometimes, according to what we had to do. And uh, the the cajon became the, the star almost. Like, people were like, what is that? And how, I mean, now you see them everywhere. But at the time, it was like, what the hell? And I yeah, got I yeah. got to admit, and, and y'all know this, in the beginning, you didn't want to I was it. not really for yeah. cajon all the time because I forgot as a bass that. player, yeah. I missed a drum kit. Yep. I miss rocking out with mm. a drummer, you know. Well, you got but that. But it, it developed, and finally, over time, it was like, yeah, like it a, just something changed. Yeah, it's a minimalist it's a approach. Yeah. Caveman stuff. Yeah. That's what I like about it. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, the first Pine Box Dwellers gig was where? The Creek? I think Probably. so. Yeah. yeah. Our local, one of our local uh, restaurant bars. Creek. It was the Creek. And then the next weekend, see, I thought it was like a one-time thing. Because, Sean, you text me saying like, hey, buddy, you want to play with us this weekend? Hey, I said, hey, boy. Sure. Hey, you know, like I, I was excited. And I was like, dollars? cheese sandwiches? <laughs> hey, and then And then next weekend rolled around and said, hey, buddy, you want to play with us this weekend? I'm invited back. Okay, it's a trap. And was that where the current <laughs> creek is? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was LL Creek where it's at right now. Okay, LL Creek. But the next weekend was Albany. There were three dates in Albany, which was. Hey, can uh, you stay out of town for a couple of days? Yeah, yeah. Harvest Moon. <laughs> oh no! Uh, I have to ask my daddy. <laughs> yeah, uh, Harvest Moon and Austin's Fire Grill, I believe it was, and maybe Locos too. But was that I that was time? just <laughs> that's what I was about to ask. Was that the was time? Was that the Axel Rose moment? No, Rose no, this stuff? was way before. Uh, okay, I mean, I think this was the first time, <clears throat> one of the first times I met Mike Fippen because he think sat this was in too with early us. for that moment. Killer, yeah, yeah, killer Mike. But uh, that was the first time I I literally felt like I was on tour because it was I'd never done anything like that before. And you was making money. Yeah, See, I was making money y'all too. Had your your moments when you when you hit that level, and y'all yeah, you I all realized like gave yeah, the is... nod to somebody, Josh Kirkland, you know, Andy Strickland, funny, Sean Clark. Mm-hmm. Quick short story: when I, the first time I made money, first weekend, I played with Josh. He asked me to play with him. He gave me two weeks to learn like fifty songs, and I didn't really learn them all. I just I did the best I could. Mm-hmm. And I made some flubs, but I went out that weekend and it was hard. In 18 hours, we had three gigs in Florida at festivals. They were all like 45 minute to an hour sets, but it was all within 18 hours, all three of these gigs in different places in Florida. (laughs) My first weekend out, ever actually working, making money, playing. And by the end of it, I was so beat. And so discouraged because I had messed up so many songs and I, you know, but they were like, oh, it's cool, man. You know, you just started. You're, you're learning them. How much but money did you come home with? I come home with $1,000. <laughs> yeah. yeah. After everything, I come home with $1,000 in 18 hours of playing less than three hours. 
And I was like, okay, I'll figure this shit out. I will figure it out. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll figure it out. I'll give you an incentive yeah. to learn. And that's when you said. And money ain't always that good playing, but, you know. You said, I think I will have some of that cocaine. <laughs> I'll take some more of that cocaine. I will have some of that, Josh Kirkland. <laughs> <laughs> and we were a trio, so splitting the money three ways equally was like, you know, there's not a fourth and a fifth person there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, that's why we're kicking Jody so, out. He's huh? fired. That's why we're kicking Jody's he fired. Don't, he don't want to do the press stuff. Then. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, we were talking about Jody Parrott. Uh, well, we're not going to get into Jody Parrott quite yet. So, uh, so at this point, y'all were a four-piece, and the guitar player in the band was uh, Ashton Heron, your nephew and Billy Ray's grandson. Uh, yeah. Kind of like a child prodigy on, on uh, lead guitar. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, was in the band. Uh, let's see, y'all, y'all recorded... Over the years, you probably recorded about three or four CDs uh, or more, possibly. Not anything we had printed up, but we would. We recorded it. a lot, but it was just we would rent, go in and record you know, the same songs over and over, trying to get better recordings. And I like planned that. to do an album and not finish it, and then we yeah. would plan and we'd restart and not right. finish it, and then we would. Right, you know. but then, and then in in a sense, y'all were y'all were using that time and and with the. The availability of your yeah, studio, free, free studio. You had, you had, you could practice and record at the same time, yeah. and and really nail those, yeah. those those original songs down. So uh, <clears throat> let's see. Um, at some point in time, it's not working out with Ashton anymore, and uh, who came? Immediately after Will Gore, Will Gore stepped in as not a permanent member. Yeah, we had a few people here when and there you that would sit in UGS. This, this was a little bit after all that. When did you uh, head off to UGS? That was uh, the beginning of 2017 into 2016. 2016, 20, the, the beginning of 2017, so like January 2017. Okay, yeah. So, uh, so you you were with the band uh, three years, three full years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Connor decides to... Uh, Skedaddle. <laughs> to go to uh, University of Georgia up in Athens. And, and uh, okay, you had been going to the local Waycross College and got your two-year Associates, degree. Associates, yeah. And you wanted to go on and, and, and get your uh, bachelor. Yeah. And... Uh, that didn't happen. And... Uh, I remember that causing a lot of consternation in the band because you had, in fact, the name was uh, <laughs> the name was derived from the from, from the cajon that you played. Yeah, we How knew, did you leave? We I, knew I, we couldn't could find another somebody could, else to do what we're going to get was, yeah, with I, another cajon. I, I called a, I called a lot of. Uh, How could flat. it be the Jimi Hendrix experience without Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> <laughs> I got mad at him. I know. I remember. I, I, I remember. Had to I had down to, through text I was message. like, I, I had ain't to your talk friend to everybody. no more. I had yeah. to talk to y'all and say, "Listen, guys, education, education, and, no. and here I am, a 
busted down songwriter musician. <laughs> That's all I ever did. I didn't get no higher education, but I wanted my son to do what he had to. Yeah. And uh, anyhow, you went off to college mm-hmm. early 2017, replaced by Dylan. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, Dylan, Dylan Crosby slash Lee. Yeah. And, slash. And they, uh, uh, they kind of alternated and filled in. It so got to where Dylan could do more gigs than Lee. I think we got Lee to begin with. We, yeah, we, Lee was playing and, but Lee plays with like seven bands. Yeah, so, so he's a working he musician. Do, he can do these songs or these gigs, but not these gigs. And then we finally got a hold of Dylan and he could do. All of them. And there was a lot of gigs that Lee was booked for, but Dylan was like, well, I could do those too. So we're like, well, it makes no sense yeah. to go back and forth when we got one guy that can and, do all the gigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it was putting us in a position of, you know. Shifting styles yeah, every we, gig We would too. have to play the songs different with each drummer just because of the different ways mm-hmm. they would play the songs. Mm-hmm. And that was keeping us all over the place. And uh, so we finally honed in on Dylan could do the gigs and, so we played with him and until that didn't work out. And I guess. Well, you uh, now, yeah. Did, yeah. Uh, did Ashton leave prior to Con- while Connor was up at UGA? Yeah, he did. And then there was to a my few knowledge, times of him kind of coming back for a brief yeah, moment. Yeah. Who'd y'all get in And leaving. Will Jamie Gore played with in. us. Will Gore played with us. Um, I know you've always Bonnie had Blue. some fill-ins, like yeah, John yeah. Pope was and very good about We had John in. Peavy for a, a yeah. little while there. Yeah. That was us. prior Well, to right you. before Well, right before I left was Jamie. Jamie Moore. Really? Jamie Moore, yeah. yeah, because we went and recorded in Nashville with mm-hmm. Jamie. Yeah. And, you, and that was right that before you That was before left. college. Oh. Yeah. Cause, yeah, because yeah, okay. when we went to yeah. House of David and recorded, that was Jamie Moore. That was House that was of David Nashville. Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. A legendary place. Yes. I was up there. I went up there yep. uh, for one of the sessions. It was a. It was. I mean, y'all. It was, it was the same. The it was the same tracks. group of songs that we were recording, but you didn't. You went up there to do the background oh. vocals mm-hmm. on the song, and uh, I had a few other friends do a few other song? tracks on there. It was uh, you for free things that I think for free up on the album. Scotty, and I got sick on the way up there. I can remember that. Josh My boss and I was drinking herbal teas and doing everything I could to just uh, get something out of my mouth. But uh, the studio, House of David, uh, actually, uh, they had a secret door where Elvis could come and go. It was right? David Briggs that David owned Briggs, it. David Briggs, who was it. Neil Keyboard, Young's. And Elvis' keyboard player. Um, producer, David Briggs? He did. Some, I know he did some producing for or Neil manager. Young. I don't, I, don't, I don't know producer? exactly. I know he definitely produced for him. I don't know the, how long that the, lasted. The, the old the, the, machines the real, sitting in the hallway, there was what Harvest was recording. Yeah, yeah. there was the, yeah. the actual old 24-track or whatever, reel-to-reel sitting there that Harvest was tracked on. And I got to touch it. <laughs> I laid my hand on it. Was hoping for it would transfer some kind of something into well, me. It must have done something because that's. Uh, didn't you release your solo album shortly after that? Nah, it was before that. That's why it wasn't that good. <laughs> no, <laughs> all things was good. <laughs> we'll get into right. that in a little. See, bit, my next but, uh, one might have some of that mojo in it. Though. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm working on that. So, 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 Ashton. Uh, was replaced with uh, 
What's his name? Will Gore. Well, it wasn't replaced, but we, you know, we had just fill-ins with Will Gore, mm-hmm. John, John Pope, Pope. And, and then, then we got a permanent member with John Peavy. Oh, played yeah. slide guitar. Well, that was after Jamie, right? Jamie was permanent Did, for a no, minute. Okay, so yeah, yeah. For, so, for a little, I'm sorry. little while, it was, there, it was Ashton, it Will, yeah, we had, and Jamie, then Jamie and then Moore. Ashton kind of came back for a little bit on certain gigs, Did right? Yeah, because this was when I was at UGA. There, there was a moment because um, if you remember, it I thought was, we're just running in the mud with this. But, yeah, but, it, was, <laughs> it really is all over the place. We've had so yeah. many people sit it in was, and not play with well, us, and then play here's, with us. Here's and, the point: the takeaway from all this. Pine Box Dwellers has had its share, like I said at the beginning, has had its share of drummers and guitar players. Yeah. And uh, another testament, uh, is uh, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging on Sean so much, but another testament to Sean is that he he's always, you know, I mean, you lose a, a, a wheel of on the bandwagon and usually it's going down. Mm-hmm. They never went down. It was always they were always resilient. They always find somebody mm-hmm. to come in, fill the void. On. The show must go on, and it kept rolling. The lights must until... stay on. It kept rolling until it ended back up with three of the original members. Yeah. me and Sean Connor finally the whole time, but Connor came finally back. came home from college. I don't remember exactly what year that was. Seventeen, was, uh, uh, 18. 2018, Yeah, right, twenty eighteen. And it was like, I'm back, and uh, the boys in, in bl- yeah. the boys in the mm-hmm. band, they they got back Whoops. together. So you had these three guys back together again. Uh, that was the sound. Was oh. it was it John Peavy at that point? It was John Peavy. Okay, and uh, John Peavy, but he another. was already John Peavy was already in the band when you came back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had talented guitar player because from, John played some while Dylan was uh, in the Valdosta band. in North Florida area and he ended up uh not working out and uh y'all worked a little bit with michael and boney yeah a young female uh violinist well slash mandolin songwriter uh jack of all trades kind of thing she's a talent jackie of all trades yeah she's a, uh, a beautiful little girl who's just really uh cut her teeth uh, from Claxton, Georgia, uh, in the entertainment industry, and she is going places now. But uh, she worked with y'all for a little bit, and so after after uh, um, John Peavy left, was that immediately Jody at that point? Pretty much, right? Jody, I know Jody come in and was like, you know, I could do some gigs here and there, and it just kind of dwindled it, into more and in more the gigs. It was, it was Jody and... Pope, whoever could do the gig. Yeah. So here we are now. Also, we did some stuff with Josh Sharp. That's right. Yeah. We can't forget Josh Sharp and John Wills and. I mean, there, the, yeah, there was a little period with John uh, Adam Wills Poulin. there. John Wills, I mean, but th- yeah. those were never permanent members. The there was just like people who play. sat in. Or right. Stuff. Adam right. Poulin or Scotty Nicholson. Yeah. John was from. Uh, John Wills was from Albany, and whenever we would play Albany shows, he would. Be so eager to sit in with us. He played uh, saxophone, keyboards. keyboards. Mm. Amazing. You talk yeah, about an awesome dude. This dude had yeah. kidney failure from the age of 15 or 16. Mm. Was on dialysis 
from the age of 15 or 16 to the age of 30 or 31, I forget, he passed away. Mm. But hardcore, he would go, what was it, three times a week? He went to dialysis? Two or three times a week. I think it was three. It was three times a week. And he would, some days, he would be at dialysis, leave dialysis, and meet us two, three hours away at a gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And play that gig and then go back home. Yeah, for a hundred And never <laughs> fussed about any <laughs> yeah, of no. that. Like yeah, you never no, heard wow. him complain about any of that. He was a music teacher. He had like this studio music school. He mm-hmm. was part of the levy in Albany. Um really cool dude. Really Such a good guy. Really yeah. genuinely good person, awesome musician. Uh he had very, very m- missed by a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was – I remember when that happened. That was sad, sad days yeah. right there when when we lost him. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of the musicians y'all missed was Josh Sharp. Yeah. Uh, Waycross boy who, out of the clear blue, decided that he was going to tackle the steel guitar. And he tackled it. Which, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, the steel guitar is no easy task. Yeah. It's, My favorite instrument that I'm the most scared of. Somebody, <laughs> uh, yeah. I've heard people talk about it. They said, uh, it's like, uh, I forget who it was, some uh, some famous musician about said uh, that uh, he'd, he set it up initially, he set it up in his bedroom, and when he'd wake up, he'd look over there, and he said it'd be like a lion sitting there waiting to pounce <laughs> on him. Somebody called it like flying a jet plane with your knees and your feet. Because <laughs> it's tricky. I mean, it's got yeah, a lot of strings, and there's levers, levers yeah. that mm-hmm. your knees mash. I call it to, the sad machine. And there's pedals that you have to mash to make it uh, alternate tunings and... and uh, here comes uh, that boy with the sad here machine. Comes, here comes Josh Sharp, who knew how to play the guitar. Yeah. He could play the six-string guitar, but he decides that he wants to learn how to play the steel, and by God, he did. Mm-hmm. And he did a mighty fine job. Of, but fast forward, he, he decides to get out of the uh, nightclubs and bands and, and pursue his goal of... Uh, education he becomes uh I think the whole time he was pursuing that yeah he was just at the same time he was learning music and different instruments and playing and and getting his education and learning all at the same time and then it mm-hmm. just he went on with his so journalism he, he gets a degree and uh and uh moves to atlanta and starts work with the atlanta journal constitution as a staff writer and uh, just this year, he actually uh, he broke a major case. Broke a major, yeah. It was there was a, a a a case that dated back probably into the eighties. Yep, uh, murder in uh, South Georgia or North Florida. Where was the church? It was at? in Camden County. All right, so it was South Georgia. Uh, a black couple was murdered. The preacher and his wife preacher in a church. Preacher and his wife in a, a little, church. A little uh, church in Camden County, and it the the case was botched by the, uh, uh, the police, 
and uh, the DA, and- the DA, and everything. It was just total, total uh, railroad job of of an innocent man. And, uh, and that guy's been in prison for twenty something years. Twenty years at least. Yeah. And uh, Josh is the reason he got out. Josh, Josh is the reason the man just got out. Wrote an expose on it. Mm-hmm. Wow. And Doug, as a journalistic writer, will do. Josh, let me back. Let me tell you something mm-hmm. real quick. Josh, come to me before I can say this now because mm-hmm. it's it's out. While he was investigating this, he came to visit me because he would come to Waycross a lot while he was investigating it. And he was telling me names of people, and he was like, "Now you can't say don't don't say any of these names because I you know I could you never know what could happen." Yeah. And I was like, man, this is kind of crazy. And then I remember when the story actually broke, I was like, wow. He Josh went through over 6,000 pages of documents himself, investigated, mm-hmm. reading, and found inconsistencies and found wrong evidence and found missing evidence. And he put it all together, and then they got DNA. And, I mean, long story short, this guy got out of prison because of it. And now they know who did it. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother case now. They they yeah. know who did it. Wow! And that yeah. dude, and then another twist in the story. That guy's mother just passed away in Brantley County, right after all this busted loose. Mm. And I haven't heard anything since then about that. But I haven't looked into it. I don't know what the deal was with that. But there you go. Crazy. When you put your mind to it, you can learn the steel guitar, and you can break up in a murder case that has gone. Unsettled for longer than you've been alive. Uh, Twenty years, <laughs> and Josh, Josh Sharp is the man it of was, the hour. It was the Eric We're, Spar. Eric, Eric Spar, Spar was the, the guy that's guilty. The that they that, know is that guilty. Is really get Dennis something was the uh, wrongly accused. wrongly accused and the one who served all that time. Mm-hmm. You know, while the truth. What it was was, was there was a pair of glasses left at the scene that had mm-hmm. a hair in mm-hmm. the hinge. And they never did anything with that until Josh got to investigating it, and then they did DNA. Well, it was the alibi that Josh figured out that broke the case. This is what's crazy is Josh got the mother to give DNA, Mm -hmm. the mother that recently died. Josh got her to give DNA, which connected her son, you know, Mm -hmm. tied him to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then she, I don't know how yet, but she passed away recently. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Real crazy. That's uh, back some, to music. Some cool stuff. <laughs> no, that's some cool stuff. And but, no, yeah, we're yeah. real proud. We're real yeah. proud. Oh, one more thing about Josh is Josh, Josh co-produced my first solo album. Played still on all of it. Played some other instruments: accordion, mandolin, violin. Co-wrote a couple songs. The name of that album was Hauntings. Yeah, and, and we brought Josh up to uh, Nashville to play on our mm-hmm. first album. Yeah. And you can find that CD on CD Baby. Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Um, it's on Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. Listen to it. Check it out, folks. Yeah. Jesse. It's, Je- it's, it's titled Jesse, J E S S E. There you go. There and you go. Uh, the album is Hauntings. There it is right there. And I get I got to sing on the, the song Hauntings. Oh, yeah. I got to play drums on the couple. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was really. Sean's a, playing guitar a on a song on there. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of my friends. On there, so uh, it's all and mixed up from song to song. Yeah. If you don't know it by now, Waycross is is a family. It's a honey hole. Music. <laughs> I'm working on a second one. It's in it's in, been in the making for like 
five years now. I don't my know. My second don't, one has I've been in the count, making for 10 years. Don't feel it bad might be longer, my, but it, it'll be out eventually. My, my solo album has been in the making. I announced back in like 2013, I'm about to release a solo album this year. <laughs> years later. Young, young, <laughs> young. You're young. You make mistakes. Let's say it's been 10 years since I announced my last one. Well, how about this, folks? Right now, we're going to take a break right after this, but right now, we're mm -hmm. going to debut a new video slash song. I think that's the 10th time we said slash, but uh, <laughs> by the Pine Box Dwellers. It's a cover of uh, the Flying Burrito Brothers song, Sin City. And uh, we did the video. Uh, I, I recorded the video with me and my son and just my phone and uh, going around with these guys and around town and stuff and getting uh, Caution Light Media here, Justin, who's off shot of the camera, to mix it, uh, edit, edit it together. And uh, this is the debut of it right now. We'll be right back. Check it out. This old town is filled with sin Let us follow you in If you got some money to burn Take it home right away You got three years to pay But Satan is waiting his turn Soul earthquake's gonna leave me in the poor house. It seems like this whole town's insane. On the 31st floor, a gold plated door won't keep out the Lord's burning rain. Scientists say it'll all wash away, but we don't believe it anymore. Because we got our recruits and our green mohair suits, please show your idea. This old earthquake's gonna leave me in the poor house. It seems like this whole town's insane. On the 31st floor, a gold plated door won't keep out the Lord's burning rain. A friend came around 
try to clean up this town as I did made some people mad yet he trusted his crowd so he spoke right out loud and they lost the best friend they had this old earthquake's gonna leave me in the poorhouse It seems like this whole town's insane On the 31st floor A gold-plated door Won't keep out the Lord's burning rain Welcome back, everybody. Something in the Water podcast. Now, that was an instant classic. <laughs> Sin City by the Pine Box Dwellers. And uh, uh, the fact that it was recorded all here in Waycross kind, uh, kind, of, uh, kind of crosses <laughs> yeah. over into the uh, J- Graham Parsons wrote the song. Graham Parsons was from Waycross. Yeah, we felt like, I mean, we know they wrote the song about L.A., but, you know, he's from Waycross, and we... Wanted to do a little nod because we're from Waycross and uh, we love the song and wanted to do something different with it. We well, all did a good we job. We like to get a little dark and swampy with most of the things we do, anyway. Especially Jesse. Yeah, <laughs> he so, wears masks. Uh, dark and swampy. You recorded uh, all, all of that video was recorded on a cell phone. Is yeah, that right. Yeah, uh, I went around with each each of the guys in the band and 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 on my own and just. Re- videoed stuff and uh took my son out and he he videoed me because i couldn't hold the camera on some of that stuff and uh yeah just had a blair witch project style gorilla style it's good i like the black and and i brought it to uh justin and at caution light media and let him edit it up and and that's where we recorded the song as well so cool yeah Caution Light Media, by the way, is the people that put together this podcast as well. So yeah, we, we couldn't do it without them. Mm-hmm. Recorded our last album. Yep. Our hats off um, to Justin yeah. Mercer, Carried On York. Definitely. Uh, well, let's, y'all got your instruments with you? <laughs> <laughs> what the? Yeah. Oh, man. That was magic. I always got that thing on me. Yeah, all right. Uh, we'll do a song from Pine what? Box Dwellers for us right now. <laughs> This one called uh, Set It Free. Hopefully it'll be on our new album. Of the tree. Whoa, whoa, it's me. 
melody can give you a fright Like a band in skeletons led to the light To drum out your passing rhythm and rhyme Twenty-seven devils tap dancing in time Whoa, whoa, it's me come about that song or story behind that uh, I joined this uh, Facebook songwriting group uh, that will give you prompts every Monday and uh, was put on by Abe Partridge I didn't know at the time but uh, he's become a friend of ours from Alabama singer songwriter artist <clears throat> and uh, I, I think I mean prompts you know prompts they would give like... you they would give you a uh, write a song with this in it oh okay or about this every Monday. And uh, they would choose different people to do the prompts. And uh, I think that week it was led to the light. And so what was the line? The I knew that that was just an obvious song title. So my brain went, I'm not going to make it an obvious song title. I'm just <laughs> going to make it a line in the song. And uh, the like abandoned skeletons led to the light was just a, I believe it's the third verse or something. Cool. Mm. Uh, yeah. I wrote a, a, out of all those uh, weekly songs, which is hard to write a song in a week. I mean, it's not, I mean, you can write well, a song in a day. I know, or an yeah, hour, I know what you mean. I've but, been in a writer's rut for years, so I'm jealous of that shit. I, I love well, it. You I, know, you can be in a rut. You but, know. Well, I mean, you can, when, when you write a song, usually, I mean, it don't, it don't take a week to write a song, but. When you have to write a song, yeah. every week, yeah, yeah, and you're like, or think about it. this: the the guys that punch in every day up yeah. in the, Nashville yeah. that that mm -hmm. write every day, you know, they get well, you get conditioned to it. I think you know, and I, I wish uh, I had that on me right now because it was like I I kind of by the end of the week I was like, oh no, I remember you. I were felt like homework was due and I needed to do something. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. just that song. There were several songs during that time uh, yeah. you wrote that we, we really need to still work up as a band. Mm -hmm. yeah. Some of them we did, some of them we didn't. But like really good songs that come out of you no doing good that for thing me. and forcing you yeah. to write every no week. No good for me came out of there. Um, 
Blood Ain't Thicker Than Whiskey came out of yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that one we just played set it free. But there's there's like two two or three more songs that I want to uh, us to learn that I think could be worked up into something that came out of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's definitely some of where I remember, but we, we just haven't messed with them. What was the uh, B-side to Axel Grease? Wasn't that? Oh, yeah, that came out of there too. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Before They Laid Me in the Ground. That's yeah. The, yeah. That's an awesome song. Mm-hmm. Can you find these anywhere on Spotify? Spotify. Yeah. Spotify. Yeah. Uh, Before They Lay Me in the Ground is on the B side of uh, Axel Grease. Axel Grease single. B side, but, uh, you know, second track, whatever they the kids <laughs> say these days. Speaking of uh, Axel Grease and Gasoline, which was one of y'all's greatest songs, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes back to the Jack Halleck days. Yep. Yeah. But. Uh, I remember we wrote a sequel to that. Yeah, over at 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 our house one evening, and there was a slew of people there. Cool. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't set out. No, to we didn't write, set out to write a sequel. But we, after we wrote it, we're like, that's. It was. <laughs> it was actually a prequel. It was the prequel to. Okay. Yeah, it was the prequel. It, I mean, I just the way the story. Birthday parties or something. It like. could have been. I mean, yeah. there were. Yeah, there was a lot of people and. We got a big yeah, house. At, we got y'all are at the apartment. Right? We got our house, and then we have a mother-in-law suite attached to the house, which we call the apartment. And we were all wound up over there, and uh, I think it was Corey Bradley and his wife yeah. at the time, and uh, um, Ashton, uh, Ashton, and, and uh, y'all. Seemed like there were several people. Oh, uh, Wendy, Wendy, and Charlie yeah, Thorne Charlie were Thorne. there, and they all ended up getting co-writing credits on this song. Yeah. Y'all do that one. You know, do that one. It's Nashville rules. Not that yeah. we're from Nashville, but uh, if you're in the room, you that, write, those are Elvis rules, right? There. Those are Elvis rules. <laughs> yeah. If you were in the room, then if you, you get were a in the room, you get a credit. <laughs> that shirt you were wearing made me think of this line. So, and back in yeah. back in the day, you could be a rich person for just being in the room. Uh, bring that back. We wrote two those songs. Days are gone. <laughs> Let's we bring it back. Two songs of that party. That's a song. Yeah, we did. Yeah, the, uh, the first truck one, stop snake. Truck yeah, stop snake yeah. was the second one, but the first one was another man. Mm-hmm. And uh, another man, I had the all the music. Like I, I had this riff and for over a year, and I, I'd wrote, written different songs to it. And I was like, "This sucks. This sucks." I couldn't ever find anything to. I knew it was just a simple rock and roll song. There didn't need to be any depth to it or anything. Mm-hmm. But I just couldn't make anything click with it. And I went over there to that party and I was like, "Look, you I've got started this. riffing." I've got this and help me because yeah. I'm, this needs to be something. And then we came up with a song, which I love. And that took us all night pretty much to do that one. And then out of a joke that my wife told about two people arguing, her friends, you know, friendly ar- argument and just were your mama this, your mama that. And uh, what I'm called the other ones, Mama, a uh, truck stop snake. Your mama's a truck stop snake. And they were like, just busted out laughing, like, what the hell's a truck stop snake? So we made one. We made yeah. the definition. Well, they were, they were trying to say lot lizard, which is a lady of the night. It sounds truck, very close. Yeah, it's, yeah, like it's very a, close. But, uh, semi-prostitute. But I think I don't think that nobody ever said, tr- I never heard anybody say truck stop she snake. She graduated to a lot lizard yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they grow the skin. Yeah. After a while, they grow legs. 
No, I don't mean I don't semi prostitute. I don't mean half a prostitute. I mean I mean a that prostitute serial killer stuff. A prostitute uh, who likes big trucks. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, let's do that song. Do that song. Uh, what truck stop snacker? Another man. Uh, another another man. man. Yeah. Yeah. Do another man. The yeah. prequel to. Uh, yeah, okay, so we we decided this was the prequel because Axel Grease to Axel Grease and to Axel Grease and Gasoline because Axel Grease was the guy had lost the girl and he's he's going after her. He's going to try to find her. Well we, we This is the we story. Yeah, we didn't plan before. on this, but this story was uh The lead up. The lead up and the uh which is the girl leaving the guy yeah. hit, hitchhiking down the road, just getting out of town. Cool. And uh then I was like, well, I never, I didn't realize this is the prequel to actually. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> Pine Box Dwellers.
Yeah. Loud. Barn burner. <laughs> it is. It's toe tapper. Oh, man. That was fun. That was yeah. good stuff. It's just... Uh, Pine Box Dwellers, ladies and gentlemen, from <laughs> Waycross, from Waycross, <laughs> Georgia. That's right here. That's right here. That's right. That's right over there. Where we sitting? <laughs> right here. Which kind of leads into my tale of the week this week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tales, tale of the week is uh, from the book Tales of the Week. Yeah, this is my uh, 2018 published novel is tales of the week from dog hill to tripoli and back uh i wrote some blogs a weekly blog from probably about two and a half years every week and uh 25 of those blogs got uh published in a little paperback book and uh i want to say that i'm very uh very proud of that by published by Achenbachen and kent and uh this week, though, I'm gonna I'm gonna read from uh, one of the tales of the week that's not in the book, and uh, <clears throat> I've said it I've said it before, but it bears repeating. Waycross, Georgia songwriters have a unique something that sets them apart. It's not that I think we're better than anyone else. I don't quite know what it is. But I can tell you when I hear it. Jimmy Stratton, the Nashville photographer, called it something in the water. Way back in the mid-60s, Jimmy Walker, a local songwriter and the former manager of the Okefenokee Swamp Park, wrote and released Obadiah, a song about Obadiah Barber, the true-to-life king of the swamp. And we all marveled at the little 45 RPM record written by a man from Waycross. His musical buddy from Nashville, the legendary guitar player Chet Atkins, wrote the liner notes for Walker's accompanying album, Swamp Country, released on Swamper Records. Chet says, One of the most colorful places in our country is the Okefenokee Swamp in Waycross, Georgia. And part of that color is a swamp rat by the name of Jimmy Walker. He's been a friend of mine for years and a handy man to have around during an alligator attack. Although his musical output was shortened due to his untimely death in 1973, Graham Parsons lived the first 12 years of his life in Waycross. Known in those days as Ingram Cecil Connor III, some of his songs bear the imagery of his childhood home, most noticeably Hickory Wind and A Song for You. Arguably, his finest writing was in the late 60s with fellow flying burrito brother Chris Hillman as they prepared to go into the studio to record the landmark album Gilded Palace of Sin. Sin City, Wheels, and the painfully personal Hot Burrito Number no. 1 were ahead of their time, combining elements of country music and rock and roll and ushering in a sound that altered the musical landscape a few years later. The poignant $1,000 Wedding from Grievous Angel, his second and last solo album before he passed away, is a stunning piece of songwriting as he weaves autobiographical references of his own wedding that never happened 
to Nancy Ross, esoteric overtones pertaining to the drowning death of Rolling Stone Brian Jones, and childhood memories of Reverend William Brace, preacher at Waycross's Grace Episcopal Church, where Graham and his family attended Sunday services. After discovering the music of Parsons a mere three months before his untimely death, Waycross songwriter and Graham Parsons historian Billy Ray Heron cracked open the door to the song publishing offices of Atlanta's Bill Lowry in the late 80s with two songs, Georgia's My Home and Special Friend. Billy Ray invited me to join him in co-writing, and we landed several more song publishing contracts with the Lowry Group in the years that followed. After Mr. Lowry's death in 2004, his diverse catalog, which included Young Love by Sonny James, Joe South's Walk a Mile in My Shoes, Mr. Moonlight, covered by the Beatles, I've Been Hurt, The Tams, All of those songs and many more were sold to Sony Tree Publishing in Nashville. Then again recently to a Los Angeles-based bicycle publishing company where mine and Billy Ray songs lie in waiting to be recorded by some unsuspecting artist, thereby making both of us rich beyond our dreams. <laughs> they better hurry. <laughs> a couple more Waycross songwriters gained entry into the offices of the Lowry Group after Billy Ray opened the door. Bill and John Randall Smith made it past the bottom floor entrance of Lowry's no nonsense associate, Cotton Carrier, who screened the songs as they entered the building. If you could impress Cotton, you were sure to see the big man, Bill Lowry, in his upstairs office. Bill and John Smith did some cotton impressing and landed publishing contracts on four of their originals, Sweet Tooth, Way Back Then, Fountain of Youth, and Hang In There. A decade had passed since our publishing successes with the Lowry organization when yet a new generation of Waycross songwriting talent began to take hold. My nephew... Graham Griffin, Sean Clark, Billy Ray's son, Jesse Heron, and my son, Connor Griffin, had been raised in the recording studios where we cut our song demos in the 90s. They had grown up listening to the sounds of Graham Parsons, Hank Sr., Neil Young, Dylan, and the Beatles. Now it was they who had something musically to say. Graham, Sean, and I were part of a Waycross songwriting project in 2003 that resulted in a dark, compelling Americana concept album, The Newfangler's Blood in the Pines, the story of Hollis Shepard. Based on a true story from the South featuring feuding families, wife beating, ass whipping, and murder. Two years ago, or longer than that now actually, Jesse Heron released a CD of his songs, aptly titled Hauntings. One listen, and you'll hear the Waycross sound. Connor invited me to a recording session at Full Moon Studio in Watkinsville, Georgia, where he was putting the finishing touches on There's Still a Light, the first song scheduled for his as-yet-to-be-released original debut CD featuring Athens Steel guitarist John Neff. When this second generation of Griffins and Herons aren't busy writing and recording, you'll find Connor on Cajon 
and Jesse on bass guitar, along with lap steel and harmonica player Jody Parrott, rounding out the popular band, the Pine Box Dwellers, fronted by yet another Waycross singer-songwriter, Sean Clark. The group was voted by fans the 2018 Georgia Country Band of the Year on November 9th at a special celebration sponsored by GeorgiaCountry.com and hosted by the Crazy Bull nightclub in Macon, Georgia. Sean's songs invoke the very spirit of the Okefenokee, dark and beautiful, desperate and lonely, visceral and sometimes menacing. His influences are the same as all who came before him. They spring forth from the roots of country, blues, and rock and roll. His music is Waycross Railroad Trains and Okefenokee Swamp Water. I've tried to put my finger on what it is that makes Waycross songwriters and their songs so different. I defer to Sean Clark of the Pine Box Dwellers as he wails in his original Something in the Water. When that cold black water finds its way into your vein, you'll never be the same. When that cold black water finds its way across through your vein, it just might seal your fate. And uh, that's these boys right here, folks, the yes, Pine Box Dwellers. All right. <laughs> oh, man. It was awesome, Dave. Yeah, well, y'all are y'all are awesome yourselves. I mean, this this is the the fruits of the labor right here. That uh, uh, I don't know who started it all in Waycross. I, I mean, I'm talking about several people that go way back, but uh, I think Graham Parsons, to me, was the most important. Yeah, I mean, he went the furthest and uh, influenced a lot of and influenced so lot, many worldwide coming up, coming off of him. I, I think it has more to do with that than anything. I think he's the root, and uh, y'all are just uh, y'all are branches on the tree. And, uh, twigs, little tiny twigs. No, uh, y'all ain't no tiny twigs. I'll tell you that. <laughs> y'all gonna be. I ain't an attorney twig. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a pine cone. Well, folks, uh, that uh, brings us to the end of uh, another Something in the Water podcast. We do appreciate y'all tuning in. And, yes, uh, sir. We hope that you'll like us and subscribe to us, rate and review us. and uh, <laughs> Yes. And uh, share it with your mom and them. Your mom and them. Get them to watch. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank, uh, and well, Sean's a co-host all the time, but uh, I want to thank him especially and uh, Jesse here and my son Connor Griffin of the Pine Box Dwellers for being our guest tonight. We'll see you the next time. Thank you all for having me. Oh, yeah. Hey.